Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. It is Wednesday, July 8th, 2020, and I'm your host, Josh Nelson. The Chicago White Sox are starting intra-squad scrimmages. How exciting. It's also exciting to see players in action, especially the upcoming prospects like Luis Robert and Andrew Vaughn hitting homers during batting practice. It's fun to be reminded that Yasmani Grandal and Dallas Keuchel and Edwin Canacion and Gio Gonzalez play for the White Sox now. But there is one player we haven't seen yet, and that's Yohan Makata. We'll talk about his status and what will happen if he's not ready for opening day. Also, the 60-game schedule has been released, and our best friend of the show, Dan Zaborski, will join us to see what Zips thinks about the White Sox chances in 2020 and why Eloy Jimenez could be primed to have a big 2020 campaign, even in a 60-game sample. In the end, we'll answer your questions in P.O. Sox. Joining me as the managing editor and co-host of the Sox Machine podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. We have a schedule. We do. And it's nice. Like even, you know, whatever misgivings or apprehensions you might have about a 60-game schedule or the conditions under which it will be tried to be played, um, it's still nice to see games and speculate about games and kind of have an idea of uh, the shape of weeks and how pitchers could theoretically be lined up and such. And it's it's real. You know, it's it's a real schedule, even if the games, you know, whether or not the games are played. I mean, we always look at a schedule like this. We always mull it over and look for uh, road trips and homestands and soft months and, and tough months. And uh, we're doing that now. Yes, it's a it's a sign that we have some normality coming back into our baseball lives. 
especially as far as in the news with Major League Baseball really struggling right now with the coronavirus testing. As far as the, the chain of events, teams are not getting tested in time or they're not getting results. Uh, today, snafu. Alex Bregman could not participate with the Houston Astros on Wednesday because the Astros do not have Alex Bregman's test results yet. So they're playing it safe. They're doing the right thing. They're they're holding him back because they don't know if he is tested positive or negative at the moment. Um, but we have gotten more and more starting players that have tested positive that teams have publicly announced with permission from the players. Joey Gallo was the latest big name for the Texas Rangers, and his testing situation was a bit odd, Jim, that he tested positive. His second test was negative, and the next day when the Rangers tested him again, he tested positive. So it's like he got a false negative test in between, sandwiched in between the two positive tests, uh, and he's still out. And the Chicago White Sox have announced that two players have tested positive for them. Those players have tested as asymptomatic, and they are currently in isolation in Chicago. So they are in Chicago, but they are being kept away from guaranteed rate field. And at that time, at this time, the players have asked for privacy and their names have not been released to the public on who they are. However, it's, it doesn't take a lot of mental gymnastics to connect dots or be concerned and ask the question of where is Yohan Mikata? There wasn't any announcement before spring training camp that Mikata was hurt as far as during any workouts. And when Rick Renteria was asked by the media earlier this week where Mikata is, he said he's just holding him out right now and didn't bother to add more to that statement. And again, Jim, this does come after the report that two White Sox players have tested positive for coronavirus. We don't know if Yohan Mikata is one of those two. He may not be. It may be something else that's keeping Yohan Mikata away from guaranteed rate field. Um, you know, Michael Kopech is not with the team either as he's dealing with a, a personal matter. Uh, but if this was an if this is or isn't coronavirus related, Jim, it is still a bit concerning that we are watching the White Sox get ramped up for the season and Yoan Mikata is not in camp working out with his teammates right now. Yeah, it's a little bit tricky uh, for people who want to talk about it and, and just are talking about it from a good place, either concern about the individual or concern about the White Sox and uh, you know, not wanting to pry about, you know, what somebody's specific medical condition is, but also just being concerned about uh, somebody you've gotten to know over the last couple of years. So, you know, it, it's weird to, uh, it's, it's a weird balance to strike. But, you know, when you see Michael Kopech being left out for an off-field matter or personal matter, and I think Rick Hahn used both of those terms when holding him out, you know, we'd, you know, there is a precedence that, uh, you know, for a non-health-related reason, um, they use certain terms, and they did not use those terms uh, for Moncada. So, you know, perhaps or maybe likely that's what it is. Or, you know, it could be the case, too, where it's he didn't test positive, but somebody close to him has. And so maybe he doesn't want, you know, that person to be, uh, you know, I, I guess exposed or talked about or whatever. So, um, you know, it's a delicate situation, and so you don't, you know, necessarily want to talk about it, but I think, you know, it is natural for fans to just want to know, you know, not, not judging the person or not holding against them. It's not like a mark of shame, but just wanting to know, like, just have some idea uh, whether the White Sox will have to forge into the season without him. And when you see Andrew Vaughn taking grounders at third and Rick Renteria saying he doesn't look bad there, you know, it does 
lead you to draw some extra conclusions. Say, like, what are they going for here? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Vaughn, watching as far, you know, when he was in college at the University of California, he did pitch. Like, he's got a strong arm. He was throwing 90 miles per hour uh, his freshman year when he did pitch for the Cal Bears. And then he just stuck with being a position player full time going into his sophomore season when he won the Golden Spikes Award. And he was just awesome hitting wise. And he just stuck with it, of course, into his junior year. And the White Sox spent a very high pick on him. Uh, so Vaughn's got a good arm. Uh, to play third base, it's just the athleticism that's the question. If he is somewhat athletic enough, <laughs> that, that doesn't make any sense. Does he have the athleticism to man the hot corner? We don't know. So I guess the more time, and if you take these next couple of weeks of spring training 2.0, Jim, uh, the White Sox can try to answer that question. It, they would get a lot better answers if they gave him an opportunity in a minor league season to see if he could stick at third base. Uh, but after one day, he did not embarrass himself. So thumbs up. Yeah, there were, there, I think there was talk about him when he was drafted that a team could give it a shot. Yeah, they could give him a shot. Yeah, because Team USA trying him in the corner outfield along with Spencer Torkelson uh, after uh, Vaughn's sophomore season and Torkelson's freshman season. And and I heard that Torkelson looked better in the corner spot than Vaughn. And the question was, can Vaughn get to the fly balls. It wasn't a question about arm. Vaughn has a strong arm, uh, really strong arm for the first base position, but it was just his lack of athleticism to be able to make all the plays that you would expect an average right fielder to make. And Vaughn's not a right fielder, but again, you know, if he's quick on his toes and he's able to make two foot lunges to his right or to his left, and you know, he can help cover the hole or cover grounders down the line. Maybe it is worth a shot to see if he could play third base, to give him some position flexibility rather than have the conversations of, well, the White Sox spent their first round pick on a first base DH type. Yeah. And, you know, Paul Knurko came up as a third baseman. Jim Tomey did briefly. I mean, uh, you know, they, they both moved uh, across the diamond and then, you know, Tomey's case DH to greater acclaim. But, uh, you know, for a short term thing, I think Torkelson's moving over to third too. They're move, uh, the Tigers are giving him a shot there full time. You know, it's, it's not unheard of, and I don't think it's that, um, you know, dangerous to prospect stock or development because it seems like uh, Yvonne is uh, more or less, I wouldn't maybe say a finished product at the plate, but just needs reps and needs to just see advanced pitching for himself. Uh, but nothing's wrong with his eye or his swing. Um, so they might have the flexibility to do that. And if they have, uh, you know, like say if Moncada does have to miss time for whatever reason, the White Sox don't really have a great way to make use of that spot otherwise. I mean, maybe your mean Mercedes can play there. I think he's taken some reps there. You know, if they just want to, you know, have somewhere, someone stand there who has a bat, they could play Larry Garcia there. They could play Danny Mendick there. You know, they can have a couple options for decent defense. But when it comes to actually trying to, like, make use of that for players who have some upside and could use the at-bats, uh, like, it would be the below-average gloves like... Uh, you know, uh, like Mercedes or Vaughn there who would take advantage of that. Unless, you know, the case just moving Larry over there is to get magical shot at second base. But, you know, if the White Sox want to delay that discussion, uh, then it seems like, you know, there, there isn't a better use of it than giving Vaughn or Mercedes, if he's able to look even decent for two or three games at a time, you know, that spot just to be able to get his bat in the lineup. And there is Chelsea Cuthbert, 
But last I read, Jim, there is still an issue with his visa of leaving Nicaragua to get to the United States. Have you heard anything else on that? No, I think it was just going to take him some time. I think they, I, I thought it was July 9th or 10th, so that would be either uh, you know, Thursday or Friday when he would be able to get there. So that's, that's the last time I heard, and it's not reached those days yet, so um, who can say? Right, but... I mean, he's a possibility as well at third base. He's played some time at third base in the major leagues. He's a good defender. Yeah, I think he's probably the best defender of the bunch at third. Right. Hopefully, it doesn't come down to that. Hopefully, Mankata is fine. And hopefully, he tests negative. Uh, and if it's not coronavirus-related... Uh, that everything is in order and he could focus on baseball and, and he could rejoin his teammates. But we do have to discuss the possibility of Yohan Makata not being ready for opening day and the impacts that it has on the White Sox. And I think it's a great impact, Jim, because that's a pretty big drop off in production when you go from Yohan Makata to Chelsea Cuthbert or Lurie Garcia or Danny Mendek playing third base. It's not like losing Jose Abreu to two weeks to injury because you got Edwin Encarnacion. Yasmani Grandal could play first base for you as well because James McCann is a, is a good you know backup catcher now uh, for the White Sox when he was an all-star uh, last year. The White Sox have certain depth on this roster, but when it comes to third base, and I'll throw shortstop in as well, the White Sox have very little depth, and if Tim Anderson or Yohan Mikata misses a significant amount of time, that's going to pop the White Sox postseason balloon, uh, especially their chances in 2020. Yeah, we, we spent a lot of time talking about the lack of outfield depth, but yeah, left side of the infield is also a trouble spot, and it's I guess it's good that we're talking about Anderson like that, just because maybe... Entering last season, we might not see going from Tim Anderson to two weeks of Larry or Danny Mendick to be that big of a drop-off, but credit to Anderson for playing up in a way that uh, he's now more integral to the success of the White Sox offense. That's cool. Uh, so I'll, I'll put a positive spin on that. But yeah, that's I, I think that's the biggest or the, the toughest part of you know losing Mancata for any meaningful amount of time is just that uh, there's no... Unless somehow Vaughn surprises both defensively and does not look overmatched against Major League Pitching and they give him that playing time, uh, there isn't a better way to make use of that spot the way, like as you mentioned, in certain positions like second base with Madrigal there or first base with Encarnacion, Grandal, Mercedes, Collins. Yeah, you have all these guys who can make use of that spot and at least, you know, if Makata missed time, one of those guys could step in and say, uh, all right, well, at least... Certain player got at bats, even if he didn't, didn't uh, you know, produce in those at bats. It's worth something, knowing uh, where he is in his development. But in case of Mancata, you're just hoping, I think, for however many weeks of good defense and hopefully some lucky contact to make up for what would otherwise be a pretty big drop off in production. In another reality, Jim, we may be talking about Jake Berger getting time at third base if he yeah. didn't get hurt multiple times with his Achilles. Like this would this would have made sense in the time frame. First round pick in 2017, a couple of years in the minor leagues. Yohan Mikata is not with camp. You know, if he was healthy, based on what we were talking about back in 2017, theoretically we could have been talking about Jake Berger getting some time at third base. But that's yeah. another reality, a different planet Earth. 
and a different Earth, we're halfway through the season. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm thinking like the Yankees when they had uh, Miguel Andujar out there. True. He's a terrible third baseman. But I'm, I'm trying to think of like your mean Mercedes or who would be like the equivalent of terrible defense, but ultimately watchable. And I think, you know, Mercedes, if he's got nowhere else to play, um, you know, and he looks like, okay, like he doesn't fumble balls hit right to him. Like, yeah, I think you need to have certain hand skills to where if uh, you get a chopper hit to you, you can execute gloving, exchanging and throwing without complications. Cause I think pitchers will be driven nuts if uh, he, he proves to be that big of a liability, but it comes to complicated plays. If he trips over himself, if you can accept that uh, for the kind of production he provides at the plate, or at least the value of those at bats, that might be one way to go. And, and one guy to think of when it comes to just the trade-off involved. Well, fingers crossed and knock on wood, Yohan Mikata comes back to camp healthy and, uh, thank you, Jim, and is ready for opening day. So we do not have to have these conversations, uh, as we lead up to opening day on July 24th. And let's talk about opening day and let's get, let's discuss the 60 game schedule for the Chicago White Sox. And, uh, the first thing that caught my eye when Major League Baseball announced it was the the home and away splits for the divisional opponents. Teams are either going to play six or seven home games against divisional opponents out of ten, or they're going to play six or seven away games against their divisional opponents. A six and four split is a split, but it's a lot closer to being fair, in my opinion, Jim, than the seven and three split. And the White Sox are fortunate because they get seven home games against the Minnesota Twins. And the new opening day will be Friday night, July 24th, at home against the Minnesota Twins. That first pitch is going to be 7.10 p.m. Central time for the White Sox. But after that weekend series, they go on an eight-game road trip to Cleveland, Kansas City, and then Milwaukee, uh, which they'll play the first two games in Milwaukee. And the next two games against the Brewers are at home. Uh, August 5th and 6th uh, and then they have a weekend series against the Cleveland Indians so that's that's how the White Sox season starts and there's a stretch where they play the Field of Dreams game against the St. Louis Cardinals and when they come home they don't leave Chicago for 15 days which that would be beneficial for them and then they got a really brutal as far as road trip to start September when they're in Minnesota and Kansas City and they get an off day and then they got to go to Pittsburgh uh the Pirates and Royals were not expecting to be good teams, but again, these are road games, and we really don't know how uh, the team's going to play as far as on the road. And, you know, looking at what they did last year, Jim, against the Minnesota Twins at home, because I, a lot of White Sox fans, you should be excited. Seven home, home games against the Twins, that's great. That should give the White Sox the advantage. I looked into the numbers. Last year, the White Sox had 10 home games against the Twins. They were 3-7. and seven. In 2018, they were four and five at home against the Twins. In 2017, they were four and six at home against the Minnesota Twins. The last time the White Sox had a winning record at home against the Minnesota Twins was 2016 when they were six and three. Uh, So I don't necessarily think it's a cakewalk that the White Sox have all these home games against the Minnesota Twins, but that was the first thing that caught my eye when looking at the 60-game schedule. Uh, What did you notice first when the schedule was announced? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I think the Indians had a similar thing with the White Sox, like that uh, Terry Francona pointed to struggles against the White Sox where the Twins did not struggle and said, like, that was the division. And, you know, maybe it's not... uh, 
yeah, it's, it's not always that simple. There are ways to make up ground otherwise, but you know, when you, when you think of it, just there are opportunities that some teams uh, can't take advantage of. And uh, that might be one of them. And uh, the, given just the limited amount of uh, uh, opponents this year and the divisional heavy nature of the schedule and how even the NL Central is, I don't think there are any, you know, maybe the Pirates are weak, but even then, you know, the Pirates might have enough, uh, at least their first line of talent might not be that bad uh, to where they're on the same level as, uh, as Detroit and Kansas City, to where those are really the two softest teams that will be on the schedule. And when you, when the dust settles, assuming there isn't like any major lopsided head to head uh, record between the twins, Indians and white Sox between them, that uh, it it seems very likely that at least one of those two teams could factor into just uh, making a very simple uh, where the missed opportunities were. Jim on Twitter, I asked our fans what they thought would be the more tougher divisional road trips and 83% agree with you Concerning as far as Cleveland, I'm going to go with the 17%. I think the road games at Kansas City are more critical. The seven games at Cleveland, the White Sox are the underdogs. They are the perceived underdogs going into Cleveland. When they go into Kansas City, they're going to be expected to win those games. The White Sox have more talent than the Royals, and they have to figure out a way to win those road games. And it's always tough uh, in the major leagues to win on the road. That's that's pretty big deciding factor in who makes the postseason and who doesn't make the postseason is how well or how poorly you play on the road. Again, the World Series, the road team won every single game. And I think if the White Sox want to make the postseason in 2020, it is a full 60-game schedule. But the 14 games that I'm highlighting, Jim, are the seven home games against the Twins and the seven road games at Kansas City. They have to take advantage of the seven home games against the Minnesota Twins, and they cannot fall on their faces in Kansas City. And then finally, with the schedule, it's one of the first things that was leaked about the White Sox schedule and for the Chicago Cubs as well. The last series of the 2020 season, Jim, is at home against the Chicago Cubs. And both the White Sox and Cubs they have friendly projections. I mean, both teams have, you know, good opportunities of making the postseason. Uh, what are your thoughts about the season ending with a home series against the Chicago Cubs with possibly a postseason berth on the line for both teams? Well, I think it's cool for the same reasons it's annoying. <laughs> like it's it's, it's going to be a high interest and every a lot of people are going to be excited about it. I don't get all uh, juiced up for the, uh, you know, the, Crosstown series, so it doesn't really appeal to me. And you're having extra stakes on those games uh, just makes me, I guess, more apprehensive about it. And just, but uh, one thing that jumped out to me, and, and and you can probably speak to this more, being that you live in Chicago. But what's the? Is there any update on whether uh, the teams or uh, Lightfoot will allow fans in the stadium at any point? You know, I haven't gotten an update, but the Chicago Dogs had fans in attendance, but they're in Rosemont, so they're outside. I think they're outside of Mayor Lori Lightfoot's as far as jurisdiction. So they're kind of playing by different rules, but the Chicago Dogs had fans in, in attendance uh, for their first home game. And uh, it looked like that, you know, as far as the seating arrangement, everybody was staying safe distance away. People were 
were wearing masks, it looks like, for the most part, uh, based on the pictures. Uh, so th- those are good signs. And I-, I think what Lightfoot is waiting for, and I think the entire city is waiting for, is to see what the impact was of Fourth of July weekend and where we are as far as testing and the positive test results. If they find a way, after a brief pickup, uh, after the 4th of July weekend, if they start going downhill, then I could see fans being allowed to attend games in August. But that requires the city of Chicago to still behave, still wear masks in public, and still adhere to the social distancing rules. Uh, but right now, there hasn't been a change in the policy, and neither the White Sox or Cubs are expected to have fans in the stands uh, for opening day. And that's, you know, partly the White Sox new uh, White Sox Charities promotion, which for $49, you can get a cardboard cutout of yourself for the first series against the Twins. Yeah, uh, I, I think, you know, even if they did allow, you know, 10, 15,000 people in the stands, I, I don't know if fans for a White Sox Cubs game at the very end of the season to potentially settle one or two postseason spots would be a great idea uh, just because of the way those fans interact uh, amongst each other when there is no pandemic. I wouldn't trust them to keep separated and distanced uh, during those, uh, yeah, during a, a series with such high stakes. And I don't think you want to throw like security or other people to have to break up those parties. So that's one thing, unless there's no alcohol sales, which might be the case. Uh, maybe that's a case where uh, there wouldn't be as many flare-ups because there are more people sober. But that's one thing that jumped out to mind is that there are fans in the stadium. I don't know if they want fans in for those games. <laughs> well, I don't know. It would help with the, the atmosphere of those games. I mean, that's kind of what makes the White Sox-Cubs games fun is the fans in the stands and the, the reactions that you get for both sides when a good play has been made uh, at either stadium. It'd be, it'd be odd, Jim, for White Sox-Cubs games to not be played in front of fans and to, to have a quiet atmosphere. But the Chicago Cubs right now are testing to pipe in fan noise, and I think that's more for their production broadcast as far as both radio and television uh, than the players themselves on the field. So who knows? But right now... It doesn't appear that both the White Sox or Cubs are going to have fans in attendance to start the season, but I can't say that's a for sure at the end of the season. We could see fans. Yeah, you mentioned the crowd noise. I, th- I think it is for the players somewhat, just so everything they say isn't doesn't picked, get up picked up by the up. mic, or, or yeah. at least you know, is, is not uh, heard. So it right. does provide the players some benefit there. Yeah, it gives them a cushion, right? <laughs> so yep. you're not hearing everything that's going on in the field. Uh, but right now, the Cubs' problem is that they're still not on Comcast, so half of Chicagoland can't watch those games right now uh, on the marquee network. So good luck with those ratings, Chicago Cubs. Um, but that does it as far as the conversation with the 60-game schedule. Uh, we also have updated our podcast schedule as well, uh, so we'll have that within the podcast post on SoxMachine.com to give you guys some insight on our show schedule for the 2020 regular season and Fingers crossed what our postseason schedule could be if the White Sox do make the postseason in 2020. It feels so good to say that, Jim, after the last four seasons. Um, <laughs> yeah, it feels good to say that that is that it is a realistic possibility for the White Sox in 2020, even though it is a small sample size season. 
Jim and I will reconvene later in the show to answer your questions in P.O. Sox. But let's continue the conversation about the 2020 schedule with our friend Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs next on the Sox Machine Podcast. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Join us now on the Sox Machine Podcast is our best friend of the show. From Fangraphs.com, it's Dan Zaborski. And hello, Dan. Thanks for coming back on the show. Josh, thanks for having me. We have baseball. Sort of exciting. Yes, the White Sox are currently going through an intra-squad scrimmage. We are getting the play-by-play on Twitter from the White Sox beat reporters. Lucas Giolito started off well, striking out Tim Anderson and Luis Robert. So there is some baseball that's going on. With a week into Spring Training 2.0, how are you feeling about the upcoming Major League Baseball season? Is this still a good idea to push forward with this season, despite the coronavirus outbreaks in parts of the country, I'm not really. I mean, I'm not really sure anything's a good idea in 2020, just <laughs> because of the the environment that it is. Uh, I, I, I I'm not pleased that MLB seems to have been kind of hapless at starting this, with uh, you know testers not showing up during the holiday weekend and delaying scrimmages. They need they need to straighten this stuff out because. It's hard for them to say, oh, we didn't know there was going to be a holiday. Like, yeah, July 4th is the same date every year last time I checked. <laughs> right. Uh, it, it, it makes you wonder why they didn't take the economic issues more seriously so that they'd have more time to iron out the kinks of these of, of this issue. Because the, the season was delayed, you know, in March, and the owners didn't submit their offer to the union – uh, for the framework to resume a season until late May. It was essentially two months of nothing happening on this front. And that's that's absolutely absurd. Uh, we, sh- we shouldn't have been in a position where they just recently figured out the economic stuff. And then they have, you know, two weeks to figure out how to do the health stuff. I, I think that is an embarrassment. And I, I do think that once a grievance passes, I, I would be not surprised at all if Rob Manfred is no longer the commissioner. Really? You think they, the owners will dump Rob Manfred if if the grievance doesn't go well? I, I have a feeling uh, it's not backed up by anything because no one wants to talk about that. Uh, but I do get the sense there's a lot of unhappiness about uh, uh, Manfred. There's a lot of grumbling in the front office about how MLB was acting in, in recent months that you didn't really get during the C-League years. Uh, I can't attest to you know the strike years and how they felt around – uh, the, the the commissioner, but I mean, I was 16 during the strike, so I had no way of knowing that. But Manfred was never kind of the owner's beloved choice. He was the the the, the handpicked successor of Bud Selig by Bud Selig, and it actually took a little bit of, of of political wheeling and dealing to get him the votes to be 
to be approved. So he's not one of them in in the way that past commissioners have been. He's not a a famous person that, like you know, is in a caretaker position. So if Manfred is making a mess of of negotiations, and I think he did because I don't think the owners got any benefit out of all this, out of all this fighting for a month to end up where they were in March. If the owners don't get a benefit from them, there's no reason to have him around. I mean, he's an employee of the owners. Uh, all all it's done is made you know MLB look like a bunch of schmucks. And you have some general managers openly questioning the testing process. I, I know that I think it was Rizzo out in Washington. Uh, complaining as far as the process. I mean, the Oakland A's have been greatly impacted on the shortfalls of Major League Baseball's coronavirus uh, testing process. Uh, do you expect this to get any better, Dan, or is this just something that both uh, everyone involved, the, the players, the coaching staff, the front offices, and fans and media are just going to have to accept that we could go four or five days not knowing if a player was positive or negative? Yeah, it's it's going to be rough. Uh, I I hope that they learn from what they're doing. I'm not entirely certain they will. Uh, I felt that Manfred talking about Rizzo like that was inexcusable because Rizzo was express, expressing, you know, very serious concerns about a very serious situation. Uh, I I don't believe that that a, uh, a GM can be insubordinate to a commissioner. The commissioner is not the boss of anybody. The commissioner is an employee of the owners. Uh, and I don't think, and I don't think that's it's appropriate for for Rizzo to have been treated like that for a real concern. This wasn't anything that this wasn't like confidential financial information that was leaked or anything. This was his opinion on how it was going, and I I I I just don't like what Manfred did at all there. Now, with the 2020 schedule finally released. Uh, what is your first impression of the 2020 schedule? Are you a fan of the way that they did the home road splits? Within the division, it's it's a little odd, but you know they're trying to maximize interest in what is a very very odd season. Uh, so there's there's ways to have things done this year that we probably wouldn't accept it any other year. <laughs> uh, I, I I'm I'm going to project it with the actual schedules because I did it on the belief. Uh, that it was going to be balanced a little differently than it turned out to be. Not everybody gets the same number of games against each team. Uh, I don't think it'll make a huge difference in the bottom line when we talk about wins. Uh, but who knows? Maybe a team got especially hosed that I did not expect. Well, one of those teams, uh, well, there's two teams in particular. Like, I can't imagine St. Louis Cardinals fans, Dan, are thrilled that the Cardinals have to play seven games at Wrigley Field. Uh, out of the 10 games they're going to play against the Cubs. And another team that I don't think is thrilled with their split are the Minnesota Twins because they have to play seven road games uh, against the White Sox, and that's how they're going to start this season as well on the road as they visit the White Sox. And opening day for the White Sox will be Friday, July 24th, and that's a night game at 7:10. With the White Sox having seven home games against the Minnesota Twins, and you look at Zip's projections, does Zips care about the home and away splits? And, and does that boost the White Sox postseason uh, chances in 2020, knowing that they have seven home games out of 10 against the Minnesota Twins? Zips cares about home field advantage, but when it comes down to it, it's more of a, a, a 
uh, a more abstract issue. It's, you know, getting to play crucial games in front of your fans uh, than really a, a huge gain on the field. Because the home field inv- advantage in baseball is quite small, especially compared to other sports where it's, it's, it's a significant issue. It's one reason why I like that MLB has that play in wildcard game because just having home field disadvantage is not much of a disadvantage, relatively speaking, in uh, – uh, baseball. I mean, didn't we just have the World Series? Didn't it, the road team win every game, or am I yes. making that up? No. Okay. The road team won every game in the World Series. Okay. It feels like the World Series at this point, it feels like it was years ago. Uh, not, you know, six, well, eight months ago. It doesn't feel like it's only been that long ago. So I wasn't even sure at this point if I was making that up. Uh, so anyway, there will be, you know, some small changes here and there. But in the big picture, it probably doesn't make that much of a difference. Uh, what I am curious about is if home field advantage will be any different with fewer fans, as in, you know, no fans. Uh, I've, I've looked at this issue in the past, uh, and I found that attendance didn't actually have any effect on a team's home field advantage. But I never really tested for, you know, completely empty stadiums. Hmm. Uh, even a Marlins game has a lot more crowd support. At least you have Marlins, man. Uh, they don't even get that this year. From an individual perspective, moving away from the team, in your latest breakouts column for the 2020 season, even though it's small sample size season of just 60 games, the first player you listed that could have a breakthrough in 2020 was the White Sox, Eloy Jimenez. Why him? Uh, well, I guess the, the the cynical answer would be to keep me from saying Nomar Mazzara once again, because I do that every year, and every year I get in trouble when it never happens. Uh, but the thing about Jimenez is uh, that he was a you know a much more well-rounded hitter in the minors than he has been so far in the majors, and he had that rough start last year, and he really came along well over the course of the season. I, I don't think that defense is ever going to be good, but I think that he could have you know slug 600. I mean, yet last year was a crazy home run season. Uh, I, I, I do think he has that kind of potential. Uh, I, I believe I compared him to Jordan Alvarez. Uh, 2019. And that's the kind of thing a, a P. Jimenez could could put up. So I am highly fascinated. He is playing in the right park for his skill set. So it's it's he he's one of my favorites. So we'll see. There's a lot of people who listen to this podcast that like to place wagers on MLB futures, and Aloy Jimenez has been a pretty popular target to lead the majors in home runs as far as bets go, because uh, the the odds are kind of long, and he most certainly has the power to mash quite a few homers, even in a 60-game sample. What do you think about Eloy Jimenez's chances of leading the league in home runs in 2020? Uh, that, that's certainly a possibility. I'm, I'm staying, personally, I'm staying away from prop bets this year because with the small sample size, it's going to be a lot more stressful than usual. Uh, luck will be a bigger factor in a 60-game season than 162 games. And, you know, I'm not a... I'm not an obsessive better. I bet when I think I have an advantage for one reason or another. Uh, I I did give him or Zips gave him as a pretty pretty great upside when it when it comes to home run totals uh, over a normal season. If in 600 plate appearances, it gave him a 14 percent chance at a 50 home run season. Wow, that's that's a those are pretty high odds for or a pretty good probability for you know 50 home runs because. Even in 2019, 50 home runs was still a pretty saucy meatball. Uh, I can actually 
I actually have it open, and I can probably give a little more since I still have zips open from another thing I was doing. Yeah, I mean, Peter Alonso was the only one that exceeded 50 home runs last year, even with the juice with the super bouncy ball. He led the majors with 53 homers. I know Jorge Soler got pretty close to 50. Well, in a full season, Zips gives uh, 2020 Jimenez uh, a 1 in 105 chance of hitting 60 home runs. Wow. Those are some pretty good odds. I mean, they're still long shot odds, but those are pretty good odds for someone to hit 60. I mean, the the team record for the White Sox is 49. So if Zips had a 14% chance that Aloy Jimenez could have hit 50 home runs in 2020, that would have translated to Jimenez has a 14% chance of setting the new single-season team record for most home runs at a season. And I think that would have definitely gotten White Sox fans pretty hyped. Obviously, he's not going to hit 50 homers in 2020 now, unless he has one of the greatest <laughs> that runs fun. That ever. Would, that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> it would be a lot of fun. A home run pretty much every single day. Oh, yeah. You know what? He should go for yeah. it. Sneak in some baseballs. Take doctor some baseballs. You know those little pink bouncy balls that everybody has when they're a kid and you can like hit them like 500 yep. feet? Uh, so like a fake, you know, dissect a ball, put them in the middle of some baseballs, and when Jimenez is on the mound at home, plant the ball mm, with the picture. There you go. You'll need a lot of them because they may have to swap yeah. out the baseball often. Uh, during these games, really, really juice the ball. If 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 you if you're gonna cheat, be be clever about it. Because when it comes down to with the Houston Astros, it was a very you know low tech, non James Bond villain plan. Hitting a trash can because you see a signal. There was no computers or, or predictive model that it was fed into or or any kind of chicaner like that. It was it was very low tech. I think. Creating specially juiced balls for the opposing team's pictures, that would be, you know, proper villainy. Well, we'll see if it happens. I don't know. I don't know how teams are going to cheat in 2020. But, but they could they could cough on the other team. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know that's terrible. Uh, it, but if, you know, if Jimenez has a, you know, a almost one percent chance of of, of hitting 60 home runs in a normal 2020 season. If he maintains, you know, that level of his believe level of play for like five or six years, then all of a sudden you're looking at like a one in 20 chance of hitting 60 home runs. And that of course is, is mighty impressive because even with all the advantages of park and, and league environment, you, we, we haven't had, you know, a lot of, of, of 60 home run hitters. We've had, it's been done in eight seasons uh, by Five guys. Yeah, Bonds, McGuire, Sosa, Ruth, Maris. So it would be pretty cool for Jimenez to join that group. Hmm. It would be. Do you think we'll see another 60 home run hitter soon? I don't know about soon. Let's let's see if we can cure this virus. <laughs> uh, but I think I think it's I think it's possible in the right situation. And before we let you go, I have two questions, two more questions for you. One, for those that play Call of Duty online. Uh, what is your favorite vehicle to run people <laughs> over with? <laughs> I I like uh, kind of the SUV. You know the oh, SUV. Yeah. The uh, um, 
I don't know if you if your uh, listeners know, but you joined me for you've joined me recently. I haven't played Mike the last week or so because I've been busy. But you joined me to run over people. <laughs> it did. In in and we did. We got we got like three people. Didn't yeah, we? we did. It's it's when I'm most effective in that game. It's terrible <laughs> because the sounds are very realistic when you're squishing people. Yeah, they're very splooch. He's like, yeah. It's like. In a shooting video game, I am most effective if I'm in a car and I run over people. Yeah, it, it, that's what that uh, the the open world that huge open what was it Warzone open rumble or I, I don't remember what they called it, but you know there's 150 people or 120, yeah. and it's snipers everywhere. So the whole mode is essentially snipers and people with vehicles. Yes. Uh, so the SUV is fun. So is the dune buggy. <laughs> Uh, the tractor trailer is a little slow. Yeah. It gives people time to get out of the way, even though you can survive it. And the, the little ATV thing is fun to drive, but it's too easy to get shot off of it for this purpose. It's not it's not a great splatting person vehicle. No, uh, I, I do have some new skins for it, which, which are pretty sweet. Uh, my, my favorite, though, is that they added a horn sound this year. Ooh. So uh, so I. There's a uh, uh, a ride of the Valkyries horn. Nice. And I like to honk that while running over people, <laughs> pretending I'm like, you know, an apocalypse now. That's terrible. It, 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 it warms my heart. <laughs> running over people in video games. Only in games. You have to be careful in real life not to do that because that's very bad. It's... There's, it's the Grand Theft Auto thing, is that after you've been playing like Grand Theft Auto for a while, you go out in your regular car, and you start to see ramps everywhere you go. <laughs> and then you have to tell yourself, no, no Dan, <laughs> these are not ramps. You may not drive a Subaru off a ramp. <laughs> uh, although I did do one of my bucket things last year. I, I successfully exited the highway illegally where there wasn't an exit. <laughs> Okay, that sounds like a whole podcast episode in itself. (laughs) (laughs) I had the dumbest bucket list. It's great. Uh, And then finally, before we let you go, other than the coronavirus testing, because the next time we we speak, it's going to be the season where there's going to be games played. We hope. We, We hope. Fingers crossed. But, you know, other than the coronavirus testing results... What is the biggest storyline that you're following in Spring Training 2.0, Dan? Uh, I think just the starting to buzz about the collective bargaining agreement, because after that, you know, rather unpleasant month that we only have, you know, one full season after this, assuming everything works out until the 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 cup, the the CBA uh, expires and they have to make a new one. And there wasn't a lot of, you know, give and take and 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 and. It just it wasn't nice. It wasn't a good experience for anyone. I think players and owners are all kind of pissed off at the moment. Uh, so I'm hoping that a, a smooth season kind of moves them into the uh, the area of trying to extend it. Personally, I'd like it. They would just say, hey, let's just extend the current deal for a year or two to kind of give us time to recover from all this. But I think at this point with one one party proposing that would instantly make the other party reject it. Well, you can follow Dan on Twitter. He's at D Zimborski. And, of course, read his always excellent work on Fangraphs.com. Your weekly chat is still going on, right, during the quarantine? That is correct. 
I have still done it from from my basement, just unwillingly in my basement. Got it. What what day is your chat again? I have a chat at Thursdays at noon. Thursdays at noon Eastern. Eastern time. Sorry. I I do have East Coast yes, bias. Yes, you do. Uh, so it'll be 11 o'clock Central time on Thursday. So whatever ideas that you have or if you want to post a question to Dan about what does Zips think about Axe, make sure to join his chat on Fangraphs.com, 11 a.m. Central time on Thursdays. And as always, Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show. And hopefully if there are no more troubles from coronavirus testing, uh, next time we'll talk, we'll be discussing regular season baseball. Thanks for having me as always, Josh. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox. We submitted questions to us via Twitter by tweeting them to us at Sox Machine and also posting questions on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Sox Machine where you can help support the site and the show by becoming a friend of socks machine at patreon.com slash socks machine. And I'm rejoined on the show by Jim Margulis to answer your questions this week. Uh, and as a matter of fact, as far as a programming note, we will be back with a new episode on Monday. So with the 4th of July weekend over, we'll be back to our regular schedule as far as this particular episode back to Monday. So sorry for throwing you the uh, the curveball there, but we'll be back to our original schedule as far as Monday releases. We did it for you because you didn't have fireworks in the background every five seconds. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure. We had some, we had some firework, uh, firecracker and bottle rocket enthusiasts on our block. So that's all you would have, would have heard. You live in Tennessee now, and uh, it is big in Tennessee, so that, uh, that'll be a common occurrence for you, Jim. It was also very loud on, on my block as well as far as in Chicago. But let's go ahead and answer some of these questions. And our first question comes from Twitter from Brandon. And Brandon is asking, what kind of production do you think the White Sox need to see from Noah Mazzara to not pursue an upgrade this offseason? And Brandon adds kind of a two-parter both in your opinion and also what you think Rick Hahn would be looking for? Well, I think they're kind of, I guess I treated that question as uh, more what Rick Hahn is looking for, because I think, you know, if Mookie Betts is there and he's available to price, the White Sox can absorb and they can absorb quite a bit because, uh, yeah, they're in pretty good shape that, uh, you know, they should go for him pretty much no matter what. Mazar is only under contract for one year. They can put bets, you know, in right. They can put Mazar in left. They, they can move some guys around and make it happen. Uh, but when it comes to what Han wants to do, and given that he, you know, uh, the way he spends money is that he 
uh, X, though he'll be on the guy on trying to clean up the mess on the other side of it. Like he'll be uh, there in eight to 10 years, no matter what, to deal with the last years of a player. So he isn't like going that far. Uh, I think uh, in order to not have to shop for that position again, I think it would take the equivalent of like a three to four uh, wins above replacement season. Uh, I'm thinking like in, in terms of like a full season, not the abbreviated thing. I still use the context of 162 games just because it's easier to fathom. Because if you say like, oh, oh, he's worth like 1.5, that doesn't really sound impressive. So I would say like the equivalent of a three to four win season uh, would be the the kind of year. And I think, you know, uh, beyond that, if to get a bit more specific, I think you'd have to have some evidence that it's sustainable, whether it's you know, the chase rates or the plate discipline numbers or uh, batted balls, uh, the direction they're going and the lift uh, with which they're hit. Uh, I think there would need to be something sustainable there. I'm thinking like Avi Garcia during his all-star year it was a great season. He was healthy, hit the ball hard, but there were still the underlying concerns that he wasn't going to be uh, able to sustain that. Um, you know, the, the health was one thing, but also just ground balls. Uh, didn't really pull the ball in the air much. Uh, you know, had to be healthy in order, to, 100% healthy to get the most out of his speed. Uh, all that you know was taken into consideration. The White Sox didn't get carried away with him. You know, they more or less just rode it out to the end. And Garcia has basically been the same player he was at the White Sox. Good when he's he good enough when he's healthy, but not somebody you want to bank on. Um, and I think that would be the concern they have Mazzara if he gets lucky is they don't want to overcommit to that because uh, he hasn't really shown it at any point in the past. So I'm thinking it has to be like three to four wins and he's got to be able to hit the ball in the air, probably set a career high in homers or be in that that uh, path, which would be like 25 homers or more in order to feel great about uh, him being an above average player in 2021 and maybe beyond. So Picota, which is the projection system from Baseball Prospectus, has Nomar Mazzara at eight home runs, 23 RBIs, and a slash line of 257 with a 317 on base percentage, slugging 458. If Picota is on the money for Nomar Mazzara's projection in 2020, is that good enough for Rick Hahn to not pursue Mookie Betts? No, because you can find the guy elsewhere. Yeah, he's going to have to do better than that. That's kind of... It's kind of like milky numbers. You know what? It, it is. That's a good point that you make. And I mean, yeah, giving someone like Milky Cabrera at the time, what was it? Three year, $42 million contract. That's obviously big money for the White Sox and their spending habits. But they kind of hopefully have moved to a new level after this offseason, signing Yasmani Grandal and Dallas Keuchel to new team records. But yeah, I mean, if that's the production from Nomar Mazzara in 60 games, it's just eight home runs and 23 RBIs from a standard uh, numbers perspective. And if his war, his war, according to Pakoda, <laughs> the projection is zero. Uh, if he if he has this type of level of production in 2020, and I mentioned this on 670 The Score uh, over the weekend, the only name that Rick Hahn's going to hear from fans and media is Mookie Betts, Mookie Betts, Mookie Betts, Jim, this offseason, if Nomar Rosara produces at that type of level. Yeah, and, you know, given the financial uncertainty for so many teams uh, due to the pandemic, uh, it's possible that, you know, it, you know, it's always a pipe dream when you're talking about the White Sox spending the money for a top-of-market player. But when it comes to just the strange circumstances, the White Sox should be in better position than other teams in order to take on a contract like that. 
uh, especially if Betts doesn't get the money everybody thought was possible, you know, before uh, the coronavirus changed everything. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't count it out. And I also just, you know, if the White Sox look interesting and, and, and look like a fun place to play for a guy who can pick where he wants to play, you know, maybe it isn't as outlandish as it normally would be, uh, given all the other uh, constraints the White Sox operate under. July 8, 2020, and Jim's getting White Sox fans hyped about a possible Mookie Betts signing. Yeah, it's like either I'm getting them hyped or I'm just uh, <laughs> expressing that if they don't make a serious pursuit, uh, fans shouldn't really find that acceptable. Speak it into existence, Jim. I love it. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, but anyways, thank you so much for your question, Brandon. Our next question comes from Monica. And Monica's asking, what do you think... About the neutral broadcast, would you miss Sox Math and the other J, uh, Steve Stone and Jason Benetti segments? Well, um, I'm not clear on exactly what uh, the neutral broadcast agreement means. I think, you know, from what I can tell early on, it seems like teams will be able to produce their own broadcast, but when it comes to the camera feeds they get, it's kind of like the KBO in that they're going to be at the mercy of another team's broadcast feeds. And I'm not sure if that means like when it comes to neutral broadcasts if the home team's broadcasts are going to be being on the call for both teams or if Jason Benetti and Steve Stone are going to be able to call from maybe not home but maybe from uh NBC Sports uh yeah like a studio at NBC Sports Chicago and they're going to be able to see some extra screens that the other team is providing and be able to talk about things that we can't see, but they're able to see on other screens or maybe that other broadcast crews can tee up to them. Maybe they'll be on the same, uh, you know, have the same earpiece that the other broadcast do to know what's coming. That might be something that's where they are able to pr- provide like some kind of home, uh, home spin on another team's broadcast uh, camera work. That's what I'm thinking might be the best case for both teams. Just so uh, like, you know, NBC Sports Chicago and the White Sox can sell their own ads on things and they're not at the uh, you know, mercy of another team's gimmicks or, uh, you know, uh, I guess things they focus on in order to make their money. Uh, that seems to be an arrangement that I think might be tricky for some teams or might have some bumps to work out, but ultimately is probably the best interest of both teams. But if it is somehow the case where another team's uh, broadcasters have to provide the feed for both, uh, you know, both teams and both broadcast markets... Uh, that's not something I'm necessarily looking forward to just because I'm thinking of Rex Hudler, whose work I don't enjoy in Kansas City. Uh, I'm not really a fan of the uh, the, the crew in Minnesota, Dick Bramer and Burt Blylevin, although I think they've moved away from Blylevin a little bit. But uh, Tigers, I haven't been as exposed to them since uh, their broadcast team attacked each other. <laughs> I haven't had the, uh, heard the new crew too much there, but uh, it's just not a... A great market for uh, opposition broadcast the way I like listening to some other teams or watching the other team's camera works like Baltimore and, and New York's team. So uh, I wouldn't really look forward to that. So I'm hoping it's more a matter of just having uh, like Jason Benetti and Steve Stone having to work or get used to another team's cameras uh, doing what they do and, and, and talking around that, which I think they can do uh, given their rapport and their, <laughs> their ability to talk over either awkward transitions or um, just a little bit of flubs and such that go into their broadcast. I think they're used to poking fun at the situation a little bit and they can make it work. 
Yeah, I think one of the things we're going to miss, though, on White Sox broadcasts is that you get the fun moments in which Aloy Jimenez waves to the camera after he hits a home run and it stays a little bit longer or you'll get more shots in between pitches after he hits a home run, for example. And that's where you get the high mom and, and other fun antics from the White Sox clubhouse. I don't think we're going to see a lot of those moments this upcoming season, Jim, with the broadcast, especially the broadcast have to remain neutral. Maybe you'll see Aloy Jimenez go into the dugout and, you know, high five as far as his teammates after hitting a home run. But that may be the end as far as capturing the dugout shenanigans that go on uh, in between pitches as the broadcast has to try to remain neutral to give both broadcast uh, announcing teams the opportunity to call the game. Yeah, either either that or or that you know if they the camera crew see something interesting that they think is worth uh, worth worth broadcasting from the White Sox dugout that it's kind of like almost like politics where they have to keep in mind equal time, and so if Francisco Lindor goes deep and is uh, mugging it up in the uh, Cleveland dugout that uh, uh, that. White Sox fans have to watch Cleveland players be happy for an uncomfortable amount of time. Right. So Monica, it'll be, it'll be an interesting broadcast, but I do have to say as a White Sox fan, uh, we are in good hands because Jason Benetti is getting a lot of experience right now for ESPN calling the KBO games. Yeah, good point. Uh, and he he should be well prepared for this type of situation, especially when the White Sox are on the road. So the White Sox should be in a really good situation. And Steve Stone is a longtime veteran as far as broadcasting sports on TV. So the White Sox should be okay. But Monica, I could I could see some broadcasting crews have a terrible time uh, with this type of setup, uh, and it could be comical. So we'll see what happens. But the White Sox should be in good hands uh, as Jason Benetti is getting that experience now, calling the KBO games, and Steve Stone is a, is a long-term veteran. But thank you so much for your question, Monica. And our next question comes from Gukas Leogito. And Gukas is asking, do you think there is a National League trade market for either Zach Collins or Yerman Mercedes? I think, you know, given the the catcher... I guess, instability with the White Sox beyond next year. Like James McCann will be a free agent. They don't have anybody right now. That's a natural fit behind the plate for uh, backing up Yasmani Grandal and doing a timeshare between that and first base that it seems like, you know, Collins would still be the one they want to keep. And they can, if he can somehow improve his receiving enough or robot umps come along. uh, And maybe that's something that actually happens with this uh you know given social distancing and given that teams are kind of calling games themselves in uh in training camp because they don't want umpires having to do more close-up work than they have to Uh, and also joe west uh i don't know if you saw that that joe west is uh saying that the uh, coronavirus death toll is fake or at least inflated and he uh, doesn't see a danger in him being out there even though he fits a couple of risk categories himself that uh, you know, you might have some umpire cases, uh, perhaps that that make it difficult for uh, uh, you know coronavirus containment. <laughs> so maybe that's a case where they do move to robot umps faster than they think, just because of safety issues that occur over the course of the season. Maybe it's a case where all of a sudden Collins receiving is not a factor anymore, and he can catch balls however he wants to, as long as he can uh, get rid of the ball when people are running on him. Uh, so maybe that's a case where they keep him. So I can see uh, that the White Sox aren't all that eager to get rid of him. 
And then we'll see with Moncada too uh, at third base and, and you know the floating the idea of Mercedes playing third. Uh, you know if they can make extra use of him. We should say that as we're talking, it came up that uh, Lucas Giolito said uh, White Sox beat reporters had him saying that uh, obviously Moncada will be back. So it doesn't sound like if Giolito's word can be trusted in in. And it's full, <laughs> taken absolutely literally with the word obviously that Mancada is not going to be out for long. Maybe uh, Mercedes won't have any playing time to take at third base. Uh, but he's somebody I could see being moved, um, you know, more than Collins just because he's on the older side. He's got a... Uh, uh, a boom and bust approach where he he doesn't have the greatest plate discipline. He's got some uh, bat to ball skills that might be exploited by major league pitching. Uh, but you know, given I think just the uncertainty, the amount of uh, uh, you know just the amount of bats a team is going to need over the course of the season, especially if there are some complications uh, taking players out of the lineup for weeks at a time, and just given how I guess uncertain teams might be about acquiring players who aren't in their system already and haven't been taking the precautions that uh, teams know that their players are taking, that I wonder if transactions overall are just going to be more theoretical than anything else. I can see teams maybe going to the, the free agent teams in Nashville or something to where they just need to acquire a shortstop or a center fielder, even if you can't hit, or a relief pitcher just because they're really short in pitchers all of a sudden. Uh, that they have to go to that pool. But I think when it comes to trading players and acquire, uh, giving up some of their own talent to acquire somebody on another team, that uh, once the season starts and if, if teams don't feel great about their health situations or feel like they have to take it absolutely 100% carefully uh, just to get through weeks on the calendar, that they just might be loath to uh, sacrifice all that much talent for another team's uh I guess, especially in a case like the White Sox, like a, a guy like your mean Mercedes, who isn't a sure bet himself, a guy who might not improve their lineup all that much. No, that's a good point, Jim. I don't really see the trade market being very active. I could be wrong, but I don't see the trade market being very active uh, towards the end of August. Just, I think, for a lot of the points that you mentioned, with the biggest point being how comfortable are teams feeling bringing in another player, possibly from another market, that may not be in the best shape right now. Like, is it more difficult for teams right now to think of making trades with the Tampa Bay Rays and the Miami Marlins and the Texas Rangers, Houston Astros and the Arizona Diamondbacks, knowing what they know about the coronavirus outbreak right now, uh, as far, especially as far as in those three states? It would be interesting to see, but that, that, that those are good points that you make, Jim, and that's a good question, Gukis, on what is the possibility of Zach Collins and Yerma Mercedes being traded. So thank you so much for your question, Gukis. Yeah, I think the the one thing too is that uh, when it comes to player safety or or you know teams abiding by you know, the, the testing protocol and everything, there have been a lot of bumps and and you know, uh, results getting delayed and and you know, like Al, you mentioned Alex Bregman not being able to participate in spring training and the you know some teams having to cancel entire days and on one hand that just shows how tough this is to do or how maybe Major League Baseball didn't think it through. On the other hand, it is nice to see that teams are taking it seriously and they're not trying to cut corners and uh, you know, they're, they're, they're scolding the league, but they're not uh, feeling, it doesn't seem like they're feeling any urge to cut corners or or you know, be cavalier with uh, players or staff safety. So 
As discouraged as I am by certain developments with the league's testing, I am encouraged by how seriously teams and training staff seem to be taking it. Uh, thank you so much for your questions from everyone. And if you have a future question or topic that you would like us to tackle in an upcoming episode of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. And you can also help support Sox Machine through our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. We're working on some new gear, some new swag. We're going to have some uh, opening day swag packs. Uh, They'll be sending out to our Patreon supporters. So if you support us right now on Patreon, you'll be looking forward to that. Uh, But if you really enjoy our work and you would like to support us, uh, again, go to patreon.com slash Sox Machine to sign up today. And that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine podcast. I want to thank our best friend of the show, Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs.com for joining us. Again, follow him on Twitter at DZaborski. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can listen to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And the Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. We'll be back on Monday to recap the White Sox weekend with Spring Training 2.0. Thanks for listening. Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm. Buy one, and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries. For nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.